And I walked in to this gas station and I'm wearing, okay, so, so I got this new uh, hoodie from ThinkGeek, actually. And the hoodie, it, they call it like a Starfleet tactical hoodie or whatever. And it's something that ThinkGeek themselves made, all right, that they, you know, they devised on their own. It's not something that's actually in the Star Trek canon. But it looks like kind of a, you know, uh, later DS9, you know, TNG movie style uh, a uniform with the gray along the top and all this. And it has a Starfleet patch on the right side. And then it has a little Starfleet patch, you know, perhaps where the, where the communicator should be. It's not, they didn't, I, I actually give them credit. They, they weren't cheesy enough to put, um, you know, like a, like a so on communicator there. Not that I have a problem with that. Sometimes that works, but in this case, I think it would have, it would have made it a little too cheesy. Uh, so I like what they did. They just had a little patch that said Starfleet. I mean, it looks a little military ish, but whatever. So do most Starfleet uniforms. Uh, but man, I walk into this gas station, you know, wearing this and the, the, the woman at the counter, she says to me, you know, when I get in line, I, you know, I pick up some seltzer and whatever. And, and, you know, and I walk in front of the line and she, and she says, Hey there, Starfleet. Oh man. I mean, I can't do it. You know, you, you know, the way that, that, that only women can kind of say a certain thing. Oh, I just. I thought it was the hottest thing. I even, I went outside the gas station and I said to the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, and I told her what happened and she goes, oh my God, that's hot. And I was like, I know. <laughs> so anytime you want to call the Golden Stallion, anytime you want to call him Starfleet, you go right ahead. I dig it, baby. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. Oh man. Anyway, a lot of people really like that hoodie, too. And if you're wondering, I, you know, I shared some pictures of it on Twitter and, you know, all over social media. And if you um, if you want one, Think Geek has them. Uh, so fortunately, you know, it, I was, uh, yeah, able to get my hands on that. And it was just, yeah, I, I, I don't ever want to take the damn thing off. It just looks so cool, you know. <laughs> and, and it's right on time because the weather is about to get serious enough to where you can wear a hoodie. And that's my favorite weather. I, you know, it, it really... Like my favorite seasons of the winter, it's almost fall. Fall is almost, you know, is, is a close second. But really the weather that I like is jacket weather. It's not necessarily the winter. It's not necessarily, I don't know, you know, whatever, whatever term you want to put on it, just jacket weather. I love being able to, to wear a jacket. Now, I don't know if that comes from like just some, some old, I don't know, predilection to like, to, you know, wear or like to carry things with me often enough. I, you know, I was one of those teenagers where, you know, I, every pocket I had had something in it, you know, this is before the smartphone could be everything, uh, but you know, I had my little MacGyver knife, you know, the, the, the tinker, you know, Victronics. Uh, but anyway, whatever, enough of that crap. So I love jacket weather. There you have it. But that's not the question you came here for. Of course, we are here for another Q&A episode. Thank you so much to all the Sovereign Tech patrons uh, for donating to the show and getting access to the Q&A. Of course, if you have not heard yet, if you have not figured it out, or if you're having any trouble with this, you can let me know uh, right through the Patreon messenger. But Patreon now has custom RSS feeds for patrons, which means that all of these secret in fact, that's the name of the, 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 the RSS feed that puts out these podcasts is the Sovereign Tech Double Secret Exclusive Feed. Um, double Secret. And 
Yeah, I mean, to get access to that, you can get access to all this in your favorite podcast app, even on iTunes, whatever. You can just plug in that little URL and away you go. Uh, it's it's really, really slick. I, I love Patreon for putting uh, putting that together. Now, again, we just got to get them to accept crypto, you know, some cryptocurrencies and we'll be in great shape. Uh, but anyway, so that that is available if you want to listen to these in your favorite, uh, you know, podcast app. Uh, now that is totally possible. And if you missed that ability or how to implement that ability, of course, just send me a message or an email, whatever, and I'll I'll give you uh, give you the hookup. So and remember, everybody has a custom Patreon RSS feed like it's not like there's just one that you can. I mean, you could you could give it to other people if you wanted to. And I'm not going to do anything about it. I don't believe in IP or any of that shit like that. And just pay what you want. And I hope they find value and want to donate anyway. But if you did do that, well, you did that. Uh, but. Once somebody, you know, once the patron stops being a patron, you know, stops donating, then that RSS feed does get cut off. So, you know, just something to to, uh, to keep in mind. Uh, but I think it's a very exciting venture in a lot of ways uh, to monetize content and certainly a whole hell of a lot better than, say, something like, oh, steam it uh, or some of this other bullshit uh, that is really just, you know, more about fattening the wallets uh, of, of the, you know, original people that created the platform and some of the original whales instead of actually like really democratizing the ability to, uh, you know, fund, you know, self fund in ways, uh, you know, projects and all these other things. So anyway, um, you know, speaking of steam it, I actually, I have a debate coming up. I'll let, I'll let sovereign tech patrons know. Um, I have a debate coming up on the Tatiana show. Of course, the Tatiana Moroz. I have, I just love Tatiana. She's wonderful. Um, and I will be on there and I will be talking to Ned, Ned, uh, was it Ned Scott and Dan Larimer. And it'll be, you know, I plan on it being a pretty friendly debate unless they're going to start, you know, if they start tossing around the terms like that's crazy or what the hell do you want or things like this, well, then maybe it won't be so nice a debate. Uh, but that will be coming really like I'll be recording that not long after this, this episode gets released. So, and if you notice, this is one of the first Q and A's in a while, if maybe even the first one where I'm actually in the studio doing it. Uh, but that anyway, that that's, that's a whole bunch of, you know, behind the curtain kind of stuff. Uh, but I just want you to know that that's on its way. Uh, of course, you'll be able to listen to it for free through the Tatiana Moreau's, um, feed or the Tatiana show feed and, uh, or the let's talk Bitcoin feed. Cause I think her show is on the let's talk Bitcoin network. Yeah. Uh, but I'll also probably release it here in, in this feed as well for you to be able to, uh, to access just in case you don't want to go adding on another feed like that, which, you know, it's up to you not to say Tatiana does a bad job, quite the opposite. Uh, but anyway, so let's get into these questions. Uh, we got some doozies here and ones that I think really are, are filled with so much nuance that I, I kind of have to read every word, uh, of the questions. So, and we'll try to get through as many as we can. Um, and I'll try not to try not to be too verbose with any of them, but, uh, but let's do it. Well, you know, before I do it, I do want to say thank you so much to everybody for last week's Q and a episode. People were very supportive. People really appreciated what I had to say. Uh, and I'm really honored by that because some of the subjects, especially, you know, when you start talking about family, you know, and sex and all these different things. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's a topic, it's a topic where, you know, people get some very, very, very strong, you know, and perhaps not so well-researched opinions or whatever. I mean, pe pe you know, people just have some very strong thoughts about the whole matter and, uh, you know, and people can get pretty livid, but nobody did. Uh, as far as I can tell, you know, I mean, I haven't, there hasn't been any loss of donations or of any kind. Uh, everything seems to be, you know, just fine and dandy and smooth. So 
Anyway, uh, let's uh, n- now let's really, you know, so I do I appreciate. Yeah, I do appreciate hearing from all of you, you know, and, and what you had to say and your perspectives um, on that whole topic. Uh, it's, it's really it's something worth talking about, something worth exploring. Uh, I, I really think so. So anyway, I'm glad everybody then enjoyed that. So let's get into some new stuff that we can enjoy. Let's start off with uh, with a first question here. Actually, you know, I'm going to sh- I'm going to shake it up. Uh, let's not go with that first question. Let's go with. The first question that I, I have this like in, in two spots, <laughs> terrible move on my part. Um, but the first question kind of follows a theme that we've been covering the past two, three weeks on the Q&A episodes. Uh, and this one has to do with, well, wh- what I've kind of termed, tell us another sovereign tech secret. Uh, I got a message. Somebody used the Patreon messenger to get this to me. Um, and they asked me. Uh, Here it is. Hi, I have a quick question that I was wondering if you could answer sometime soon. After every episode that I've heard with the outro music slash lines by Stephanie, the last thing she says is, welcome to the evolution. And this is on the regular, of course, he's referencing uh, on the regular Sovereign Tech episodes. Uh, And actually on these two, it ends off with, you know, there's playing the the Peter Gunn theme with saliva, which I revealed that that's who who plays that uh, on last week's Q&A. But it ends off with... You know, where Stephanie says, like, you know, this is copy heart. We encourage you to share, which I certainly do. And then it ends off with, um, you know, welcome to the evolution, which I suppose is encouraging you to share. Well, I guess, you know, using them in the Patreon episodes, since you can't exactly readily share those, you can share the fact, hey, you really need to get on Patreon to be able to listen to these. So that still fits. Anyway, uh, but she says, welcome to the evolution. And uh, reading out with the question, I've always wondered what that meant. Is it a pop culture reference uh, like quote unquote, see you on the other side is, which we talked about that last week. Um, or is there some deeper hidden meaning uh, to it? Thanks and keep up the good work. Well, again, thank you so much for donating and for being able to ask that question through the Patreon messenger. That makes my life uh, very easy. And I, I do my best to get back with people as quickly as possible uh, that use that. But anyway, to get to the question, welcome to the evolution. So there... <laughs> There's long been in the liberty movement in general or, in, you know, in liberty circles and all that, uh, like when there was the, the Ron Paul revolution or revolution, whatever they wanted to call it, like the word revolution, some people really took umbrage with, uh, you know, concerns over using the word uh, revolution, even if you're talking about a peaceful, perhaps mental you know, or internal revolution, you know, that that happens for everybody, uh, not something that's bloody or calls for violence of any kind. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I generally don't, you know, somebody says revolution. I, I like to think I'm a smart enough person to where I can get what they're saying. If they're talking about doing something violent, uh, which, you know, don't, don't misunderstand me. There are lots of people in Liberty circles who absolutely support and claim that violent revolution is, you know, viable. It's something, you know, even perhaps that is coming soon. Uh, those people are so full of shit. Um, I mean, like literally the, the shit is just pouring out of their ears. Uh, the, I, I mean, just look at history alone at a time when people were freer, had more capability, more personal power, uh, you know, personal empowerment, I guess I should say, you know, a world without drones that can knock you off from, you know, two miles away, uh, all, you know, no surveillance or at least not a, not a serious surveillance state, not one that actually, you know, can be controlled by a small group of people, uh, you know, none of that. And even then violent revolution didn't work. 
So, and people bring up the Bolsheviks. That's the Bolsheviks are both. No, they're not bullshit. That's <laughs> a joke. Um, but that, that is also another situation with a lot of nuance and also not necessarily something long lasting. Uh, not really, you know, I, well, I, so another area I'm a dilettante in is in the history of Russia, uh, in the USSR. And at some point, I suppose I could talk about all that, that sort of thing. But, you know, one thing people don't get is that there, even within the USSR, the history of the USSR, you know, the October Revolution, all that stuff, there have been multiple USSRs. Like, it, it is literally like they, the USSR had fundamentally changed four or five times throughout its history. Uh, you know, there is no one way that the USSR, you know, was, um, as to where, you know, interestingly, I think America has always kind of just been America. Uh, <laughs> it's always been rather, you know, insidious, uh, frankly, I don't think that there was actually a time where the U S uh, gave a shit about freedom. You know, I think there was points where it was biding its time, uh, you know, to how much, uh, you know, how, how badly can it put its people on the leash? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that it's, it's just always been that way. Uh, so, but the USSR actually had lots of really, really, I don't want to say minor, but, but it had lots of, it did have lots of little revolutions and they weren't necessarily violent ones either, you know, but that, that's, that's all a whole other, a whole other history and not even really, you know, what I, what I wanted to get into with this question. But so when, when Stephanie says, Welcome to the evolution. Anyway, I, I got in a, on a huge sidetrack because I just get so sick of hearing people talk about violent revolution as being some kind of an answer to anything when it's not. Um, so people, some people take umbrage. Like I said, some people, you know, are skittish about the word revolution. I really appreciate that. And I so, you know, instead of like welcome to the revolution, you know, there, there's some other terms I use sometimes. I'll say welcome to the cabal, you know, because we are really on sovereign tech. We are talking about getting rid of legacy systems. I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about the future. I mean, a, a, a way of life, maybe that, that hasn't, I mean, and I'm not centrally planning it. I'm not telling people how to live. I only ever talk about, you know, okay, what gives you the most choices as a human being, you know, on how to go about how you want to live. Um, but we're, you know, we're really talking about, you know, kind of the next step in, you know, in human interaction human, uh, I, for lack of a better word, society, things like this, you know, where we're talking about individualism and all these things, uh, that aren't a part of, you know, the order of the day today, really in, in a lot of ways. So it's, there's no real pop culture reference. Uh, you know, using the word evolution is just kind of a, a coy, not, not coy. It, it's, it's just, it's just kind of a clever term to use to talk about, you know, we're going to the next step. We're getting rid of the legacy systems. We're ignoring the legacy systems. We're ignoring the state. We're just going to evolve beyond that. Now we're not, you know, becoming a new species of humanity or anything. Uh, there's certainly people who make that kind of claim, uh, like, like, oh, was it Lady Gaga's, uh, was it born this way where it opens up same DNA, but born or yeah, same DNA, but born this way, like kind of like the whole song is this reference about how, yeah, I look human, but I'm not really human and all that. Well, that's getting into some wild esotericism uh, that I won't get into here. But, you know, I mean, so there's some people who kind of think that way. And then, you know, you have people that talk about, oh, we're we're homo interneticus 
or Homo Deus is, is a, that's the name of a new book that I, I haven't read yet, but I have on my list uh, where, you know, but I mean, understand, I've been saying welcome to the evolution since like episode one of Sovereign Tech. So this has been going on for years. Um, it's not like it's something new that was inspired by by some new book or anything at all. It's not. Uh, yeah, it's really just I think it, one of the terms that's been used by by some other liberty media is the is not revolution, but the peaceful evolution is what they would say. And I really like that. I, I, I agree. I mean, you know, because we're not we're not fighting in any wars here, really. OK, <laughs> we're just evolving. We're just taking it to the next level, you know, of, of you know, peaceful coexistence, uh, which is, you know, in my opinion, the real one of the real goals of life is just, you know, pe- to learn and, and, and have peaceful coexistence. Uh, so, yeah, nothing you know, n- nothing really, no big story to, to tell there. Uh, I'm sure people would love if there was some great pop culture reference involved, uh, kind of like with the Stargate one would, would, you know, with see you on the other side. Uh, but in this case, there isn't in this case, it was just, it was the best word uh, to describe kind of what I feel like I was talking about or what I do talk about. Uh, but you know, I'm in no way saying also, let me be clear. I am in no way saying, you know, with, with, you know, welcome to the evolution. Like Sovereign Tech is this great bastion of light, you know, or it's this this amazing like this is the path to take. You know, I, I wouldn't claim that for for two seconds. Uh, in fact, you know, I'll tell you, uh, oh, wow, three years ago, maybe I had there was a lot of people and this is before. You know, I kind of challenge you. In fact, I was doing it the other day. I went back and I listened to like episode 41, I think, of Sovereign Tech. I can't remember why I was even doing it. But I went back and I listened to it. And like, I talk so slow and I talk so soft and like, I like, I can't believe that's me. (laughs) <laughs> you know, as where normally I'm coming out with the woo, you know, and, and all the intensity and everything. And it was just so like calm. <laughs> I almost missed that. I was like, wow, this, that, that, that's a hell of a guy right there. Uh, but anyway, even at that point where I'd like to think that, you know, I wasn't being so debonair on the air, but I'm, uh, I had people emailing me saying that I needed to come up with my own ism my own philosophy in all this stuff. And I've talked about this to some degree, even recently in, you know, in, in past episodes. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want anything of the sort. I am not, I'm not telling you how to, you know, I'm not telling you how to live. I'm not, you know, I'm not micromanaging anybody's lives and all this stuff. Like a lot of, you know, ANCAPs and some others do where it's like contracts, hoy, contracts, dot, 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 contract up, you know, none of that, that bullshit. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't play that game. Um, and I, I don't, I have no interest in politics. I mean, like, I don't want it. I, I am not interested in, in, in that sort of thing. Um, I've toyed recently just because of my utter disgust with libertarians and a lot of anarchists in general. Um, I've toyed with, you know, messing around with another word, uh, but it's just toying. It's, it's nothing, you know, it's nothing serious, <laughs> like, or at least it's, it's not anything. Yeah. It's, it's not something I'm really going to, going to talk about. I mean, I guess if people ask me about it, maybe I'd talk about it a bit more, but it, it... anyway. Um, so yeah, welcome to the evolution. Nothing special there, but I'll let you in on a little something extra. And I don't know, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. I think I might've mentioned this before, but there was a time where I was purposely making sure that, and I do whatever compression trick I needed to do, making sure that each episode of Sovereign Tech was, as long as it was a two-hour episode, was 69 megs. <laughs> and then it's, it obvious, it's painfully obvious why I would do that. Uh, so 
Anyway, there's there's another little secret. I have many more that I have, you know, implemented into Sovereign Tech uh, that if, if people want to, you know, maybe ask if they thought they've found one, um, I'll let you know if you've found something. Uh, welcome to the evolution. I mean, yeah, you kind of found something there. Uh, I even, you know, to some degree, that is a play, I guess. And, and I don't know that I really thought about it that much. But to some degree, it is a play on some degree of esotericism and maybe even Illuminati stuff where that's what they're talking about, where they are going to become, you know, the next evolution of humanity, you know, the perfectibility, you know what I mean? And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a good term to use either way, whether you, you know, you're dalliancing with that stuff or you're not. So, okay. Uh, that's, that's enough of that one. There we go. No, we're doing good. 20 minutes. Okay. Um, let's go on to the next question. And uh, this is a tech one. So kind of, I like this little pattern that we've been developing uh, sort of spontaneously on uh, on the Q&A episodes. Hey, Brian, you had already mentioned it on your show, but in the last day or two, FBI director, and I got this message just recently, uh, FBI director came out and urged everyone to tape up their laptop camera. What do you think he knows that we don't? It's supposedly to protect us from crackers, you know, that being malicious hackers for those that don't know how I use the term cracker. Uh, now, if there's one thing the government doesn't like, it's competition. So they want to see the crackers lose out. That's fine. But that has to mean they not only have other ways to spy on us, but have perfected it enough to allow them to warn the public about the cameras, to throw us off the scent and get a false sense of security. Am I a crazy conspiracy kook for thinking this? Now, I really appreciate the use of the word conspiracy kook. That's pretty good. That might even be that might be better than what I use conspiracy nutters, because I think using the term conspiracy theorist, as we talked about recently, uh, like with the iPhone seven and the, you know, with Jack gate, <laughs> the headphone jack being removed and everything. They said, anybody who thinks that's all about, you know, uh, uh, DRM management or, you know, DRM uh, hardware and software and whatever else that, that, that they're conspiracy theorists. Uh, and I said that that that's you know that was really appalling of Apple to use that term because that is a term used to shut down conversation. Uh, you know that that's that's a term to you know just scorn, and 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 really whoever is talking about this, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. And I've actually been privy to the conversations where someone will complain about the DRM, you know, the the, the tyrannical potential control that Apple will have you know, via the DRM of, you know, the lightning port and, and someone saying to them, you're a conspiracy theorist and just like ending the conversation like that and just repeating themselves over and you're a conspiracy theorist, you're a conspiracy theorist. There's no argument. That's not, I, I hate to use this phrase because it gets used by a lot of people that are assholes, but there, it's not an argument. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean, and honestly, you're only paranoid if you're wrong. And the iPhone seven just came out a couple days ago. You know, we've got some time to find out if the, you know, the people concerned about the, you know, the DRM with the lightning port, uh, you know, to find out if they're right. And I, I bet they're, we're going to end up being right. Cause I'm certainly one of those people that thinks that, uh, you know, Apple is doing this as a, you know, as a system of control and not just because they needed more room, um, you know, in, in, in the iPhone. Cause I don't think they really needed that room. Uh, but anyway, so back, back to the point here with the, with the question, which is, you know, is this, does, does the fact that now that the FBI is effectively recommending people cover their, uh, you know, cover their, their webcams, uh, does this mean that the FBI or whatever alphabet soup organization now has various, you know, various other ways within which 
to, you know, spy uh, on people, you know, at large. And yeah, I think there's some truth to that. I don't think that that's, that's, that's a conspiracy kook idea. Um, I, and I do think they, they do have a lot of other ways uh, to really spy on you. I mean, for one, like the laptop, the computer in general has really fallen out of favor as, you know, the, the, the system that the average person uses the most times, you know, throughout the day and not a lot of people. And in fact, the design of them isn't, doesn't really make this, you know, terribly plausible, but not a lot of people are, uh, you know, using tape over their, their smartphones and nobody's recommending to do that. Right. Nobody's saying, oh yeah, put a tape, put tape over the camera on your smartphone. Oh no, 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 no. They're not recommending that. Uh, so I think, to some degree, they've realized that, well, we don't really need to look at laptop cameras anymore. We can just use everybody's smartphone, you know, kind of like, uh, what was it in um, The Dark Knight Returns, right? The Batman movie there, the, the second one uh, of Christopher Nolan's trilogy. Uh, you know, in The Dark Knight Returns, where there was kind of a sonar that could be used and, and Batman could figure out where exactly, you know, the Joker was and all this. I mean, to say nothing of how insidious you know, that, that whole scene is somehow making it like, okay. Like I I love how Lucius Fox, you know, says this is completely unethical, blah, 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 but they do it anyway, because, oh, we got to stop the Joker. Uh, you know, isn't that the age old government argument and how insulting for the character of Batman, uh, you know, to, to be used, um, in that fashion in, you know, in, in a pop culture, uh, you know, medium like the movie, the dark Knight rises, but whatever. Uh, so yeah, I think that they know they can just use smartphones and that smartphones are far better, far easier, uh, to, with which to, to, you know, make use of the cameras, uh, and all of this. And, you know, this, this gets into, this raises a huge problem in that, and it's not a new one to sovereign tech listeners, but that you can choose not to have a smartphone. And I think that's a fine and dandy thing. I mean, I want to see the opposite of what we're talking about here, where people get away from the smartphone and start going back to the laptop. But that's not the direction things are going. Instead, you know, they're trying to either get you into glorified smartphones like tablets, you know, or or they just want you using smartphones in general. Um, but with, you know, with smartphones, yeah, you could choose not to have one. But then, you know, you've got 100 people at least around you at any given moment, perhaps, that does have a smartphone. And that can be used to still kind of, you know, target you, perhaps, uh, you know, potentially. Like I've always said. If the NSA is really after you or the FBI, the CIA, whatever, is really after you, you're screwed. I mean, you know, you can hide things from the get go, maybe. And, you know, hopefully no one will ever be the wiser. But if, you know, if the sites are on you, I don't think there's much you can do. I don't think there's much in the way of any technology that you can use, you know, to to really, uh, you know, get away from their prying eye. Uh, you know, if you're being targeted otherwise, yeah, I think you could disappear, (laughs) but, but if you're being targeted, if they know what you, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of game over. Um, there's another possibility here that I want to discuss. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, the reason, you know, what is their superior technology to where they're not concerned about laptops anymore? Uh, I think the superior technology is, or, you know, the, the new avenue that they're using to track you and, you know, or, uh, to be able to see you in all of this, instead of using a laptop camera. Uh, would is, is the smartphone. Like I, I, I think it's, it's really just, just that simple. Um, but as far as there's another possibility here, you know, perhaps what some would consider maybe a more rational one, but I don't think there's anything irrational about we, what we just described, uh, when you look at the various, uh, Snowden revelations and, uh, before anybody asks, I will go see the Snowden movie at some point and I will do a review of it. Uh, so 
yes, I'm, I'm well aware and I'm, I'll be on top of it as soon as I can. Uh, so the other possibility is that something I've mentioned a few times now recently on Sovereign Tech is this concept that there's really only three countries in the world. There's Russia, there's China, and then there's everything else, which is effectively America, you know, even if it has an, another name. Um, with that in mind, you know, and when you consider things like a few years ago when Joe Biden said, you know, watch out for ZTE and highway, uh, you know, devices because they are under control of, of the Chinese government and they will be spying on you. Uh, it's just as plausible that, or, I mean, and it could be both. It could be, you know, a mixture of the two that what's really happening is, is the FBI is warning against, uh, you know, laptop cameras because they are concerned that China or Russia is looking in. And when you consider all of the, you know, the various leaks that are going on with the Hillary Clinton emails and all this stuff, uh, you know, and the potential, I'm not saying I know that it's so, but I mean, you know, and the potential that the, that was being done by Russian hackers or even Russian government, the Russian government or how, however it's happening, um, that they are afraid of more attack vectors that, you know, either China or Russia could use against the United States or should I say Western interests, uh, you know, and I don't say that I don't say Western with any kind of any kind of praise at all. Um, I think Western civilization is disgusting. But yeah, so I mean, like, I think that's just as possible is that or again, it could be both is that they you know, the FBI is genuinely concerned about, you know, other countries. Uh, looking in now, the irony in all that is, uh, is that they're the ones leaving open the back doors. They're the ones that, you know, that have that have fucked the system for so long, like the NSA working very closely with a lot of uh, operating system manufacturers and all that to where I think that there are zero days and back doors built in that. Yeah. Other, you know, other nation states, other actors are taking advantage of. And. You know, the U.S. put them there. As to where, you know, companies could have been building incredibly secure. I mean, there's always going to be, or I don't want to say this, this isn't a carte blanche statement. There's always going to be zero days. I'm not saying that's always going to be true. I'm just saying that there's always going to be zero. And you get my point. There's always going to be zero days. And, but, you know, you could still have created far more secure systems if, you know, there weren't all these back doors and all this bullshit built into everything. Or if, you know, they weren't using, uh, you know, various tactics that, that create uh, more back doors and all that. So, you know, if it's that case, I mean, they have nothing, they have no one to blame, but themselves, they, they created the insecure, you know, infrastructure uh, that, that potentially, you know, these other actors could take advantage of. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's crazy to say that they have a better system. They do. I think it's smartphones. Uh, but also, there's the potential that that they are genuinely concerned about their own safety in that, in that you know, other nation states or other actors are, are you know, making use of this uh, and are spying, you know, who's watching the watchers? Well, you know, it could be China or Russia or something like that. Not that I give two rats asses about politics or anything along those lines. Um, I really, you know, I really don't. Uh, that is a game for them to deal with and... You know, I, I stay out of it. Uh, so, or, I mean, I, I wish it was a game that didn't exist, you know, but anyway, uh, so I, I think that, uh, that answers that one pretty satisfactorily. So let's see, I think I could do one more, uh, one more, t uh, tech question and then maybe we can get into a fun one at the end. 
Uh, let's read this one here. Sorry for what is a tired question in the cryptocurrency space, I'm sure, but what's the best way to store larger and long-term amounts of Bitcoin? I've been in the space for a few years and have yet to learn of a satisfying answer. When people first tried to tell me that paper wallets were the way to go, I literally couldn't believe that anyone could suggest that with a straight face, and not because of the irony of two opposite techs coming together. Now we have hardware wallets, but from what I can tell, uh, they could still use some work Two, uh, the reason I don't like any of the solutions so far is that none of them seem to truly take into account either the fallibility of humans or our need to avoid long-term stress. Uh, I lose, break, forget, and generally fuck all sorts of things up on a daily basis. Why? Because I'm alive. That's what humans do. Uh, right on. <laughs> and so I don't want to live in constant fear that my money is in jeopardy of disappearing because of... Um, because of me or someone else. I agree with Andreas Antonopoulos that some of the most, oh, keep losing my spot here. Some of the most needed tech in cryptocurrencies is design, UI, hardware, software, etc. Aside from privacy features, that is. Uh, so with all of that, it's okay to say that there are no real, uh, it's okay to say that there are no real answers yet. I just wanted to get your take and also to see if you have any insights into any upcoming tech. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so... You you kind of hit it already. There isn't like a perfect, a necessarily perfect answer. There are concerns, you know, to be had with paper wallets. I mean, you know, with having to do with printers and I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things. In fact, Andreas Santanopoulos, he at one point he was running a paper wallet business. <laughs> so it was one of his first ventures uh, when when Bitcoin kind of kind of hit the scene. And yeah, I remember his instructions would say, OK, make sure, you know, he'd have you boot into, you know, a version of Ubuntu off of a disk that he would send you in the mail. And then he would say, um, you know, in the instructions, it would say, do not connect to the Internet. Don't have anything connected to the Internet and all this stuff, you know, trying to make. But I mean, the idea is, is that that's, you know, those are the levels of paranoia. And I'm not saying paranoia is a bad thing here. Those are the levels of paranoia you have to go through to really, you know, try even attempt to have a secure paper wallet, uh, which a lot of people say is the go to thing. And often, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've recommended it uh, as well, but more for for different reasons other than, you know, just straight up security. There's I think there's other reasons uh, to go for it. You know, that being because like at the time when I would recommend paper wallets, it was more about, you know, we had that was it Insta wallet. Was it InstaWallet? Was that the, I think InstaWallet was that classic web-based wallet where all you had to know was the URL and that would get you into it and everything. And then there was a gigantic InstaWallet hack. This was like two, three years ago. Uh, but I recommended paper wallets kind of just because of that, not to say that, you know, paper wallets are somehow infallible. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, there's hardware wallets. Uh, there's Ledger, the Ledger wallet and Trezor. Uh, both of which are coming out with new models of, of what they do. And, and I, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of interesting. Um, but there really isn't a great answer um, on how, how to go, you know, about having like a truly secure uh, wallet. My favorite, and it's been my favorite, and it's something I've recommended for some time. I mean, I don't talk about it much. So if you don't remember me talking about it, or if you didn't hear it, you know, because the last time I mentioned it was years ago, obviously that's fine. I, I don't expect people to remember everything I say. And I sure, sure as hell don't expect everybody to listen to every episode of Sovereign Tech. You know, speaking of that, now we have episode 200 coming up very soon. Technically, though, it's like it's going to be episode 300, literally. Uh, I mean, so <laughs> you know, there's a lot of sovereign tech out there. Uh, but anyway, so the one I, I've recommended often doing, and this is sort of an offshoot of um, of the of dark, of, you know, my dark Android project. And that is, is I would put um, 
I would have a, you know, take whatever loose phone you've got. Okay. And this is sort of a hybrid idea of a paper wallet. Anyway, I, I would take, I would take a phone. Okay. And I, I wouldn't have it really connect to the internet or, or anything like that. I would sideload. Okay. An APK. Uh, I tried to do that securely. Okay. I, you know, I, I put on, on, on this old phone, I put on cyanogen mod or maybe even, um, what's, uh, well, it's, that's terrible. I can't think of it. Not redroid replicant. Yeah. Replicant is the name of like the really open source Android based operating system. I'd put like replicant or something like that. Get an old Nexus phone. Cause you know, you can toss anything on those and you know, kill, kill the Wi-Fi on it, kill everything on it. All right. And just communicate with that. Make that your hardware wallet and only communicate with QR codes from that hardware wallet. You know, that that phone being your hardware wallet, uh, make it an older phone that can do a removable battery and, you know, and all this. That way you could just pull the battery when you're done. And I mean, and then you, you more or less know it's not going to go anywhere. You could put it into a little Mylar bag, you know, if you want to be if you want to go really paranoid. Um, but I think, you know, repurposing old Android devices, especially like Nexus devices and turning them into their own hardware wallets, hardware wallets that again, do not communicate outside of perhaps, you know, using QR codes to read back and forth, uh, you know, sending stuff off. I mean, it's inside load, like mycelium wallet or something like that, because that's a team that I have, I have a degree of confidence in is the team at mycelium, uh, that that's really kind of the best solution I would think of, of where to go. Um, the, the real solution is to anonymize, you know, the, the user to, to anonymize the, you know, the, the Bitcoin holder, um, and, you know, technologies like Zcash, which Zcash isn't Bitcoin, uh, but things like that to where you really, really anonymize, you know, the endpoints that's, that's a huge solution right there. Because if you cannot, if, if you effectively can't trace, you know, like the point of origin, um, you know, who's going to come after you, what you're looking for. I mean, and they, they have, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give away a bunch of details on this because, you know, we'll talk more about that in the future. Uh, but there, there are ways to really set up a cryptocurrency that could solve a lot of these, you know, very, very simple concerns and very, I mean, and you know, there's a huge industry right now and you can go to all the Bitcoin news sites, you know, uh, I don't know, coin journal, Bitcoin magazine, coin telegraph, uh, Bitcoinist, you know, coin desk. I mean, you know, or what crypto coins news or whatever. I mean, there's tons of them. You could go to a lot of these and most of them will tell you about some new project getting funded, not something that's going to enhance, you know, the Bitcoin network, but they are companies with the specific mission of de-anonymizing the Bitcoin network of you know, tracing the Bitcoin network, mapping it to know where everything came from and all that. I mean, and there's a ton of money getting put into these industry, to these businesses that are coming up, you know, and, and their whole purpose is to ruin what made Bitcoin so attractive for so many people. And obviously why a lot of people are running off to Monero right now. And who I also think will run off to Zcash, you know, once it's chops are, are proven. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> you know, there, there isn't a great answer. And a lot of the, a lot of the reasons there isn't a great answer is just in, you know, in the nature, some degree of Bitcoin itself, um, that, that a lot of the stuff is possible, but hopefully, you know, other cryptocurrencies will kind of solve it. But, and you know, there's, there's a chance that there's points within Bitcoin to where they could, they could solve this issue too. You know, side chains might be able to make, you know, I could envision a side chain 
where and and I know I've talked to the companies that are working on side chains. Um, you know, I've talked to people there and, you know, they talk about the fact that, you know, they're going to make side chains where it is a very like secure store of something happening or where they will implement, uh, you know, more anonymous features on these side chains. Now, side chains, you know, I'm a little skeptical of them. They still need to be proven a bit more because I have concerns over security, especially at at the points, you know, at the gateways, at the points to where either they leave or they enter, you know, re-enter the, uh, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, but I could see side chains coming out that could also solve this issue to where you have a side chain that is like cold storage. Like literally that is the purpose of it. You know, super secure, anonymous cold storage of Bitcoin. And then those Bitcoin can just, you know, reenter as needed. Um, so that that's where I think, you know, a lot of solutions will come from. But anyway, at the end of the day, my recommendation, my favorite, you know, hardcore, you know, wallet style to secure my wealth or, you know, or not my wealth, but, you know, to secure my Bitcoin anyway, um, is to, you know, sideload, sideload mycelium onto a, uh, Android device running replicant or cyanogenmod or one of those, you know, kill the radios on that damn thing. Only have it communicate with, um, you know, only have it communicate with, you know, via QR code, you know, toss it in a Mylar bag, go all the way. You know, and, and make sure nothing ever, nothing ever looks at that. Uh, have it with a removable battery, you know, and, and, and all of this. And I mean, you, you don't want to just leave the battery out. You, you probably want to, you know, check on it every week or so. Uh, but that's, that's my favorite way to, to really secure things. And I think it's in many ways, it's just as good or, well, I, in fact, I, do, I say it's better than anything Trezor or, or like Ledger, or, you know, or some of these other guys who are doing important work. I'm, I'm not knocking them uh, at all. Uh, but I think this is that this is the really great extreme way to go about it. So I hope that answers uh, that question. Um, I don't know a whole lot of people that, that, that talk about doing that. I think there's like even a business opportunity, but so, so here's the thing with this. Okay. And this is actually an issue with a lot of these like crypto cards or like, you know, like uh, wallet cards that you can make for Bitcoin and other cryptos. Um, is that to some degree you are, when you're selling a physical product that is going to store, you know, value like Bitcoin to some degree, you, you have to trust the manufacturer, like with Casatius coins. Okay. For example, with Casatius coins, which were the physical Bitcoins that underneath had, you know, a private key. And a lot of people brought up the very real concern is that how do we know the guy that made Casatius coins didn't keep the private key and could eventually, you know, just cash them all out. And he made the money off of selling you the Casatius coins, you know, to where one of them is worth one Bitcoin and you could get a bar that's worth 25 Bitcoins and all this. Uh, well, the point is, is that people did trust the guy and that's, that's what you needed, you know? So, I like I I've always wanted there to be a business that would sell kind of these pre-built, you know, uh no radio Android, you know, Android based wallets, you know, that maybe would have mycelium already built onto them, uh, you know, in all of this. Uh, but you'd have to trust the person giving you that. You know, like that's the thing. When you buy it and and, and I don't expect you to trust anybody and I don't recommend you do. You know, th this is real money we're talking about here. <laughs> You know, is in large amounts and is in the fact that Bitcoin is, an, you know, is absolutely legitimate, even though you don't, you know, I, I'm careful with that word uh, legitimacy. I don't mean in by in the way of governments. I mean, in that other people, you know, really see value in it. Um, so, yeah, you're never going to see a business that, that I think would would allow for that, uh, even if. 
I mean, may, maybe, maybe if there was like a third party that verified the, you know, or at least a couple third parties and everything was be was completely open source and a couple of third parties, you know, really verified, you know, what was going on with it and what was being done with it. And then you trusted perhaps those third parties to do the audit. Uh, then you could have a business like that, but it, oh, it just seems like a big headache of work. So do it on your own, you know, get an old Android device, wipe the thing. I mean, wipe the thing to no fucking end, throw replicant or cyanogen mod on it. Uh, and then, you know, or, I mean, maybe you could even run, I don't know if I'd do this. I was going to say, maybe you could run like an LTS version of Ubuntu on one of these on, on a phone or on a tablet. And this could all be done with tablets too. And then you could throw maybe Electrum on there, which I think is, is a fine idea. Uh, and, and then, you know, just, just lock the damn thing away, you know, and never, ever have it connect, you know, do not connect to the internet. Just, just don't just have everything operate through QR codes. Uh, communicating back and forth with each other. So anyway, that's that's my recommendation uh, for for all of that. I think that's a great question, and it's one. You know, this is the thing. Bitcoin. You know, the the base. Not and not that that's a basic question at all, but the basics of Bitcoin and the fundamentals. I I think is the better is the better term to use here. The fundamentals of Bitcoin. The fundamentals of Bitcoin security. The fundamentals of Bitcoin use. The fundamental. You know, those need to be reexamined all the time. You know, every and, and that's a good thing, because that means that the space is growing and, you know, and that, that change is happening. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a fine thing for this. So I, I, I think it's great to ask these kind of questions, you know, every six months, every year or even, you know, even in a, a shorter uh, span of time. So great question. Uh, I, I really appreciated that. Uh, let's let's see. I, I had a couple other uh, really, really good questions that I wanted to get into. Yeah, so we got a little while before we hit the hour mark, even though I always wanted these episodes to be shorter than that. Uh, but here's the question uh, at Sovereign Tech. Do you think that geek and nerd culture has become less authentic and more corporatized over the past 20 years? Um, cool. Definitely like to or definitely like to hear your analysis on the subject. I know you'll have some unique things to say about it. I think it's become trendy for everyone to be a nerd, quote unquote nerd, but many self-proclaimed nerds don't make the commitment to nerdy things, quote unquote. And it seems that acceptance acceptance of nerds in some people's minds means it's okay to accept all nerds, including ones who are jerks. Uh, yeah. So, so that's an interesting question. Has it become more, you know, corporatized? Has it become less authentic? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you, you can say that, and we like to talk geeky things here. I mean, pretty much every last question or not always, but a lot of the last questions during Q and A's have been geeky. Uh, <sighs> Yeah, I, I mean, you could say that in, that any any movement, any counterculture, any subculture, you know, eventually becomes kind of corporatized, uh, you know, eventually becomes, you know, very inauthentic and all this. Uh, and maybe that's true, but I don't I don't think that has to be true. Uh, I think there's some things that you can't you can't really, you know, again, for lack of a better term, you know, term uh, corporatize. You can't really turn into a cookie cutter model. Uh, for example, I think a lot of what we talk about on on Sovereign Tech, you know, does not is is not, uh, you, you know, corporate corporations, you know, <laughs> marketers and a lot of this different stuff. I don't think they know what to do with it. Uh, same with things like the Free Software Foundation. This is an organization, the Free Software Foundation, you know, does so much for, you know, the open source movement, uh, you know, computing in general and everything. I mean, it's just one of the most important organizations in the world today. And. You know, I think you can make it sexy, but you cannot make that sort of thing sexy. You cannot. It's not something that sells very well. 
you know, as in like it gets a bunch of people on board with it because, you know, instantly they start thinking about free software. You know, they start thinking about, you know, GNU Linux, right? You have to say it that way. You know, they start thinking about all these things and go, that's hard, you know, and, and they, they just don't go. They, they can't do it and they don't want to do it and they want nothing to do with it. Uh, so, again, it, but that is a subculture. Like, I think in many ways, the open source movement in computing is absolutely a subculture. Uh, but it's not it's not something that scales or really I mean, it can scale, but it's not something that sells very well. Not really. Uh, not until the time, you know, until like Bitcoin came around to where you were literally attaching, you know, open source money uh, you know, until you were attaching money to the whole idea. Then suddenly, oh, yeah, we can do this. We can do Ethereum, which I mean, talk about, you know, inauthentic and and corporatized. Uh, but uh, but, you know, that's that's a different story. Then things, you know, because then there's money already, you know, baked in and involved and then people can get on top of it. Um. So, yeah, uh, it's been corporatized. I have a few theories as to how and why it really happened. Um, I think it really didn't become it didn't become a really big deal until. You know, I talk about this with uh, with music. One of the worst things and I know I'll get shit for this, but bear with me. One of the worst things I think that has ever happened to music in the history of humanity is the band called Nirvana. Um, in the late 80s, early 90s, up until like 93, you know, humanity was on such a high note as, as you know, literally and figuratively on, <laughs> with music to where things were like, you know, really like, you know, very sexy, very kind of happy-go-lucky, uh, you know, had a nice intensity to it. You know, things were things were about living the good life. And then Nirvana comes out. And amazingly, you know, the the economy went right down with it. Uh, I mean, it really did to where, you know, suddenly everything's depressing. Oh, shoot me. You know, I want to die. You know, the life is terrible. Eh, Let me take some drugs. Eh, You know, this this whole thing, you know, happened. And then, of course, you know, even that people were able to. You know, that that music scene, you know, the whole grunge scene, uh, you know, the, the the music companies swooped in on that one, too. Right. And and turned it into, um, you know, turned it into silver chair and, <laughs> and all this all this other bullshit, you know, bullshit music from the time. Uh, you know, a lot of Me Too bands. So Nirvana was, you know, this this, uh, you know, focal point where it was a pivot point, actually where suddenly whatever was hot in the industry completely shifted, you know, and, and went another direction. I think the same thing happened with nerd culture or happened with entertainment in general with maybe, maybe Iron Man might be the first really, you know, really like, uh, you know, the, the was it 2005 when, whenever the first Iron Man movie came out, uh, you know, with Robert Downey Jr. Uh, that, that was when suddenly, holy shit, this made a ton of money we're going to pivot, you know, as an industry and we're going to start concentrating on this. And I think that's when it really happened. That's when it became, that's when like being a nerd and all this stuff really, really popped, uh, you know, because they, they saw the money, they made the money, you know, off of Iron Man and off of, you know, now off of all the Marvel movies, which really are, I mean, comic book movies are so boring. They are so predictable. They are so safe. Uh, you know, they, they have the similar formula. I mean, it's true for the bulk of the industry, but that's, that's, that's really kind of when, when nerddom, 
you know, kind of came into the mainstream, I think, you know, just like when, you know, Nirvana is, uh, is, you know, what, what killed real talent in the music industry. Uh, you know, Iron Man is what like killed kind of, I think in many ways, you know, real, like real geeky culture where like, and what I mean by real geeky culture and, you know, this is going to get crazy because it's like a no true Scotsman thing. The thing I feel that defined, you know, geek and nerd media entertainment content was that you had to know a little something like you, you had to have some degree of knowledge of the world, or at least you had to have a great imagination to be able to keep up and understand what's going on. Now, obviously that appeals, that does not appeal to a large segment of, you know, of the world because most people are just stupid. Okay. But there was always enough to where, yeah, I mean, generally if a person reads books, you know, they, they already kind of fit into that category. So science fiction, albeit the best, and it, it had been called that for, you know, decades, albeit the bastard uh, stepchild of, uh, you know, literary fiction, it was still, you know, in the realm of the, the intellectual. Uh, and so, you know, you know, people's people would read and, you know, it could make fair money, um, you know, if it was just if it was just good enough. Or if it took advantage, perhaps of the Dungeons and Dragons scene, you know, uh, you could make pretty good money off of, you know, off of doing that sort of thing. Or you end up with alternative history, you know, all, all this different stuff that that has audiences. And, you know, they got it down to the point to where they knew just how many they needed to print or you could do second and third printings and all this stuff. And it, it was a very cost effective, you know, medium to get out there, you know, that that being books and all this. Now, I mean, it's quite the opposite. Now, so much money gets funneled into like with a movie. You know, you it, it's different than than it is with the book as to where with a book. Yeah, you can pay for the book. You know, you can pay the author. You can give them the royalties, give them their advance, whatever. But the book you you can, you know, there's not a lot of you don't have to put a whole lot of money down to make a book a thing. And you could really control the the supply or, you know, you could keep up with the supply and demand. All right. Of, of book sales is to where movies, that's not the case. Movies. No. You know, when you make a movie today, it's you're like creating a small nation. Okay, when you do that and you're going to have to lay out, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, or, or millions, I should say, not hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, eventually we'll have the billion dollar movie at some point, I'm sure the rate that the rate that things are going. Uh, and in so doing, you have to recoup that cost. So you have to make these movies appeal to the you know broadest audience possible. You have to dumb down the content. And that's where the inauthentic inauthenticity comes in. And that's where all these people, how this is why you feel like it's like, well, you know, nerds seem like they're not so much today. Kind of like, you know, the, the, uh, the messenger was saying there that, or the, you know, the questioner, the questioner was, was, was making that point. Yeah, they don't really have to know their nerd stuff because there's no requirement to enjoy what gets labeled or what would have been nerd stuff, you know, 20 years ago, uh, because it's all dumbed down to get the lowest, you know, to the lowest common denominator as to where previously science fiction and even fantasy to some degree, you know, and some of this other stuff was doing the exact opposite. It was, you know, hyper focused on the intellectual, you know, hyper focused on people that weren't stupid. You know, on people that understood, that could follow complexity, that could grasp, you know, some complex ideas uh, and, and things like this. Uh, I mean, it it started before Iron Man. Like, the, you know, you could watch the sci-fi channel to really kind of see the, the very terrible progression, how that, that station went from being the greatest thing in history, like in 1998, 
in 99, where it was at a high point of just, you know, putting out the best content you could imagine and, you know, having like, you know, great marathons and all this wild stuff. And then suddenly it just all goes downhill and they start doing four hour blocks of shows and you lose that. I mean, like even the way they were displaying shows, God, on the sci-fi channel, you know, towards like, a, you know, once you get into the aughts, I mean, it was just, it was such a clusterfuck. Like there was no, they, they were really playing off the fact that, okay, no, we're going to start reaching out to dumb people and we're not going to play things in a logical progression anymore. And they didn't, they did like, they started where they were doing on weekdays. They did this four hour block where, you know, one day it would be, you know, Batman 66, you know, the next day, maybe be Star Trek, the original series next day, maybe land of the giants or something, but you can never really like follow the whole progression. You can never get lost in the universe, which is one of the real appeals. I think to a lot of very intelligent people was that they got to enter in many senses, another universe when they explored science, the worlds of science fiction and the, you know, and the various mediums of science fiction and fantasy and all of this. Um, so by its very nature, yes, it is attracting stupid people. Uh, you know, really, you know, heavy duty intellectual science fiction is incredibly rare, uh, or nerd stuff is incredibly rare. Um, I think, I think Dr. Who absolutely also fell prey to this, which maybe that's where this question came from. Cause I was kind of ripping on Dr. Who, I don't remember if it was in a Q and a, or if I was doing it on a, on a sovereign tech episode proper. Uh, but I was ripping on Dr. Who saying, you know, today it, it's, it's lost its luster. And it, I mean, it's lost it since Eccleston left and that was in 05. You know, because it's, it's not really like, I don't know, it's just not the same. It's, it's really, it's really not the same. And I think, you know, Game of Thrones, I don't think Game of Thrones is that intellectual of a show. Yeah, it's high drama, but eh, so what, you know, <laughs> like a lot of the interesting stuff from it that I like the Dothraki and all that, they're gone. So I, I don't give a shit. Like that was the only thing cool in the show. Uh, I mean, yes, value is subjective. Of course, I understand that. Um, so, so I think that's, that's really what happened is there was a point where suddenly they saw like this movie that just made a, you know, a buttload of money. And there was this, you know, also, uh, in fact, there's, <laughs> I will not mention her name, but the, but the woman who left NBC and people will know who I'm talking about, but the woman who left NBC and ended up taking over the sci-fi channel made it her mission to have the sci-fi channel reach out to the largest audience possible to stop appeasing, you know, the, the nerds, the geeks, the science fiction fans. They wanted to get everybody in there. I mean, you can remember when, you know, and, and I used to be a, 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 a fan of wrestling, but even I would tell you at that time that it was ridiculous that ECW, which of course was owned by, by the WWE at the time, that ECW was on Monday nights on the sci-fi channel. Are you kidding me? Of course, that's when they switched to being SIFY, S-Y-F-Y, instead of the proper S-C-I-F-I channel, right? So, yeah, it, it just comes down to business interests. And now, and, and the other thing is, is that people, you know, I mean, I think people have some, a lot of people have a need for, for some kind of feeling of belonging, you know, a need for belonging. And, and that really, I think, actually isn't the need. The need is more for understanding. And so I think people feel an appeal to like, oh yeah, I can, you know, I'm a nerd now. So like I'm in this, I'm in this group, I'm in this subculture and all this stuff when really like it's so commonplace and it's not really nerd or geek shit anymore, uh, that it's kind of meaningless, but people still kind of attach that. And that gets into the other thing too, as to why there's this inauthenticity. And that is, is that I think, uh, the entertainment industry as a whole, not just Hollywood has lost it's creativity. 
you know, and, and it squeezed the creativity out of itself due to, you know, due to various reasons, uh, you need know, really just people like strangle holding their jobs, uh, you know, and all this, I mean, like there's some directors today, they, they have no business making a movie anymore. Yeah. You, know, you know, I'll say something that you might think is crazy, but I, I mean this Steven Spielberg has no business making movies anymore. He is done. He he's, he's been done for a long fucking time. Like pre AI, he has been done. Uh, you know, that, that's my opinion, but I'm telling you, like he, he's made shit. He should have, if Steven Spielberg had anything left in him, he should have told George, we're not making kingdom of the crystal skulls until there's a complete fucking rewrite. And this movie makes goddamn sense. Fuck that refrigerator. You know what I mean? But these guys have a stranglehold on their job. And so, you know, so, so Hollywood produces shit. And so their solution to a lack of creativity is to appeal to her, to historicity. I've talked about this before, but it's to appeal to historicity to say, oh, if we make people think that we're making a movie about something, you know, from 20, 30, 40, 50, who knows, hell, even a hundred years ago, then they'll think, oh, this is automatically great because, you know, it's held up over time and because it's this old great story and, you know, and you can make a making special where you have people talk about, oh, how we did it back in the day and all this shit. Right. And so you can kind of create this. It's a marketing ploy, no doubt about it, but you can really create this, uh, you know, kind of this aura, this mystique around the new version of the film, um, even though really, you know, the original one probably is holds up just as well today and could easily be, you know, enjoyed by audiences, but then that doesn't make Hollywood any money. So they're, you know, at least not really not, not the kind of money they're looking to get. Uh, so, you know, they, they don't fucking bother with it. Um, I don't agree with, you know, when, when it comes to a lot of this, especially in the movie scene, um, I don't agree with the idea that, like a lot of people will say like, you know, I, I listen to Collider sometimes, which is an interesting movie network and there's great people working over there. I mean, really great people, you know, a lot of great sweaties, John Schnepp, right? <laughs> John Campia, you know, all those guys are, you know, Christian Harloff, Mark Ellis, they're all great. Um, but I, I know in fact, Campia himself will say particularly that, you know, the reason Hollywood keeps, keeps making remakes is because people pay for them. Uh, I don't, I just, I just don't agree with that. I think Hollywood's completely out of ideas. I don't think the money's there. It's not, it's actually, it's not there. People are not paying for this shit. You know, I, I think that's, that's absolute bullshit. They, you know, they are not, Hollywood will do whatever it wants. I mean, there's, there's an idea in Hollywood that's called the prestige film. And the prestige film is it's a movie that you make. It's kind of an artsy film or it's a pet project, but you know, you're not going to make money on it, but the studio will fund it anyway. It's, it, it's a very old concept in, you know, in the movie business. Okay. It's, again, it's called the prestige film. And I mean, they'll prestige the shit out of all these remakes, you know, just to even like make them still seem like they matter, especially when we're in a world where, you know, a lot of people on YouTube and other venues can make movies that blow away anything Hollywood could dream of doing and are actually original and creative. So I don't I don't agree with that concept that, well, you know, Hollywood keeps making remakes because people keep paying money for it. That that's that's insane. They, they'd make it anyway, you know, just to kind of puff up, uh, you know, their own uh, faux relevance. So, yeah, uh, you know, every, so much is inauthentic today. I mean, I hate to sound like I know there's a lot of people who, you know, people have been saying this about various different subjects for probably thousands of years, let alone decades, uh, you know, that, well, things aren't like they used to be or, you know, p 
people don't know what 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 good really is anymore and and all of this. Uh, but this is one where I think you have the metrics and you can prove that no, this is this has absolutely been dumbed down. Um, it's being designed for the you know lowest common denominator. Not it's not being created to raise up the intellectual level of society. It's being raised to appeal to the most people possible. As to where the other one, I would be like, hell yeah, let's do this. I think, in fact, I think Star Trek did that. I think Star Trek raised the intellectual level of humanity. I don't, I don't know if you could count the points. I don't believe in the, you know, the IQ point system. I think that's, that's insane. Uh, but, and, and it's bullshit science, but you know, just as the example, you know, I mean, I think the world is, is infinitely more intellectual because of Star Trek itself, because and, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this before, but it's important to bring it up again. The greatest thing Gene Roddenberry ever said and, you know, how how important he was to Star Trek. People can debate and that's fine. OK, <laughs> you know, um, he said that we had an idea when we were making Star Trek that the person on the other side of the screen wasn't stupid. And so what happened is, I mean, especially when you got him, when you got a lot of the kids involved, you know, the kids grew up watching Star Trek and it just, it just brought everything to another level where they're just like, Oh yeah, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about this and you know, and that, that's another, oh, boy, I could go on forever. Okay. But I don't need to, I want, I want to wrap this one up. Um, yeah. So the whole nerd geek thing there, I mean, honestly, to some degree, there needs to be another term. I'm not being a hipster and saying that it is absolutely provable that 90%, 99%, whatever metric you want to use that the majority, how about that? The majority of entertainment, uh, you know, made today is not made to appeal to the intellectual. It is made to appeal to the average. Society as a whole is designed to appeal and work for the average. It is not designed to praise, uplift, or, you know, help out, you know, perhaps, you know, it's not a meritocracy. <laughs> and if, if you're intelligent, well, find a nice little niche group, you know, that will hopefully, uh, uh, you know, perhaps support your efforts and all this, uh, you know, and you can all enjoy each other's thoughts and getting intelligent content out there, maybe. Uh, but it is absolutely provable, my point, it is absolutely provable today that, you know, all of this stuff that would get classified as nerdy or geeky is being specifically marketed and made to appeal to everybody. In some ways, you could say that that's not a bad thing, uh, but let's be clear that it goes away from sort of that whole, you know, nerd and geek pride in that. Oh, I understand this. Oh, you're talking you're talking some high level physics there. Awesome. Let's, you know, let's rock and roll with that. Right. Not anymore. Uh, I mean, there's rare cases where you have like um, the expanse, which hell that might. I, I mean, actually, that's interesting because the guy who's the head of the sci fi channel now after Bonnie, I almost said her name. After the, after her, after she was kicked out or not kicked out, but after she went on, you know, really to just run NBC uh, as a whole, the guy that came in said, we lost the intelligent people and I want to get them back because, because, you know, we, we can't, we're not going to be able to compete anymore with the thousands of stations that are pulling out all the same bullshit, all the same drama crap that, you know, or comedy crap that the sci-fi channel was trying to mimic, but just putting a little twist on it. I mean, you know, the, the smart people moved on and they're like, no, we've had enough. I know your game. We don't, I don't, I don't want anything to do with you. And, and also they're trying to take away the Netflix crowd. 
because Netflix is making some, you know, is taking a lot of risks and making very intelligent, uh, uh, you know, content. And, uh, you know, and, and like I said, they're, they're taking risks with it and they have, they kind of have the money to do it and they have, they, they have the non-regulatory structure. You know, they don't have to deal with a lot of regulations to where they can go forward with that. So now companies are like, oh, fuck, we've got to start appealing to these smart people because they're all running off to Netflix, you know, and then there's there's something there. And so, yeah, so now you're getting things like The Expanse and others. So there might be kind of this there might be this pulling back, you know, there, <laughs> there might be this uh, this going back to perhaps some kind of golden age of, you know, really, really hardcore, geeky, nerdy, very intelligent uh, content. So, but as it stands right now, largely when you go to, you know, when you go to Comic-Con, you know, you go to SDCC, you go to New York Comic-Con or whatever, uh, you are mainly dealing with a lot of people that, you know, this is just like, this is just for kicks. It's not something they really take that seriously, uh, or that they've, you know, integrated as part of their whole. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. You know, a lot of, especially like really great science fiction, really, you know, a lot of, a lot of really great, even great comic books and all this, you know, they had a message. They had a point. There were morality plays that were worth exploring, worth integrating, perhaps. I can't tell you how many Kirk monologues I have memorized because they fit. You know, they work. They are a part of my life. You know, one of my favorite ones uh, is from uh, uh, A Taste of Armageddon, where, uh, you know, you have Aminiar and Vendikar. You have these two planets at war, and they've, they've made their war into effectively just a you know, war being fought between computers. And Kirk, you know, spoiler alert, folks, if you haven't seen it since it's been out for 50 fucking years, um, you know, Kirk at the end of it, he, you know, he destroys their computers and says, if you want to do war, you're going to have to do it the old fashioned way because you need to remember. I mean, this is the gist of what he says. I could quote verbatim if you really wanted. But his whole, you know, his whole point is that the, you know, when you make war so clean, you just go ahead and do it. But if you rec- if you remember the horrors of war, of how terrible it really is to take another person's life, then you're going to avoid it at all costs. And that's where, you know, that's that's where he says, uh, you know, he says to the the, the chancellor there um, of. Uh, of Eniar, you know, he says to him, you know, contact Vendikar, you're going to find out that they're just as appalled and horrified you know, of, of war, you know, as, as you are, and they'll do anything to keep it from happening. I mean, like, it's just powerful. And when he goes in and he says, you know, he says, it's like, uh, you know, the guy that the chancellor there is saying, it's like, well, you've admitted it yourselves, you know, we're a killer species, you know, talking about humans in general. And he's like, all right, it's, you know, Kirk says, all right, it's instinctive, but you can stop it. You can fight it. All you have to do is say to yourself, I'm not going to kill today. That's all it takes. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, when you get messages like that, that's so powerful. That's so awesome. And that is totally worth integrating because it's right. It's all, you know, we're, I mean, hum, humans aren't an instinctive species. I mean, they are, but they don't have to be. They have consciousness. They have sapience, you know, to where they, they can move, they can go, they can act beyond, you know, these, these supposed killer instincts and all this, you know, horseshit, which, you know, the origins of them, I mean, that, that's a whole other debate. That, that that's legit, but it is that simple. You know, the solution is accurate. All you have to do is say to yourself, I'm not going to kill today. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and then it's done. Just hold, just stick to it. But anyway, uh, great question. And it's absolutely true. You know, I, I think the questioner, you know, read it right that yes, uh, there is uh, you know, total lack. It's really, it's not that, you know, nerd or geeks is inauthentic and all this stuff. There's just, there's this real lack of, of very intellectual content out there. There's some, but it's not, 
It's really not like back in the day. And, and there's not that, there's not that intellectual exchange. I think that happens because, you know, most people, oh yeah, a lot of people like, I don't know, Battlestar Galactica or something, but you can't really have like that conversation with a lot of people. Well, you know, where you say, well, how do you feel about Starbuck doing this? Or, you know, where do you think the Cylons and, you know, and, and all that shit, nobody's really having those kind of conversations. It's just like, oh, that was great. I'm going to eat some more cheese poofs. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's, sort of you know how that works today so yeah it's very legit but i think you know there's some degree of, of a pullback you know of, of getting back to where you know there's intellectual content of some kind uh because now you know i think the entertainment industry in general has to create things that are going to last and the only things that ever last are things that you have to keep talking about and the only way you keep talking about it is if it's really intellectual it asks a lot it leaves you with as many questions as it gives you answers as to what's going on uh and and you know i think we're we're going to start approaching you know, that, that time frame for that sort of thing to happen. Um, I mean, and, and there's been attempts already Jupiter ascending awesome movie. People hated it. Why? Because they had to think to understand what was going on. Incredible film. The Wachowskis delivered the goods, you know, uh, as, as kind of, as usual, I haven't seen cloud Atlas, uh, but, <laughs> or well, I, I won't go into, won't go into cloud headless, uh, but, but they did an incredible job, you know, and that was an original property and all that. And people are just like, blah, 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 blah. you know, bees, Ugh, I don't understand because, you know, they don't have brains, you know, they, they don't understand the, the, the symbolism of bees with, you know, royalty and astronauts and all that. Uh, so anyway, We'll get this licked. We'll get this solved. Podcasting is actually a solution very much to the lack of intellectual content. Uh, as I've said, you know, even on the Q&A episodes, podcasting is the, you know, it's the new television. It's really the new medium that's coming out there. And the people that are into it now are the largely are the, I think, the intellectuals. They are the people that are thinking uh, and they recognize it. And that's why they're so hungry and they're so thirsty for more podcasts and, and podcasting in general, because they recognize uh, you know, that it's giving them something that TV, the movies, even a lot of comic books, not all, but a lot of comic books today just aren't. Um, so there you have it. I think that's enough for this week. I uh, went a little over an hour, a little longer than I wanted, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> so uh, do keep a lookout for that, that steam it show. Uh, who knows? Maybe these guys will cream me. I don't think so, but, <laughs> but, uh, in fact, I can almost guarantee it because I know I, or I'm fairly certain that my goals in life are different from theirs. And it's just going to come down to the fact that steam, it does, you know, well, first off, yeah, the economics, I don't think are going to add up. It's going to be interesting to hear them explain that. Uh, but also that, you know, the, just the, the goals are not the same because they're probably trying to reach out to that lowest common denominator, right? E and that's not going to last. So, <laughs> Anyway, Carpe Lucam, everybody. Woo! I have a, boy, the last episode of Sex and Science Hour for season two. And then we're going to take a, a, just a couple, two, three, I don't know, however many weeks off. Uh, that'll be this Friday. And then also a brand new Sovereign Tech. And I've, I've got a doozy after, after the past couple weeks. And people, I've gotten a lot of gr very gracious comments uh, about the last couple episodes. And our, our listener count has gone up significantly. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely in the, uh, you know, five figure range. And I'm happy about that. So, Thank you so much for donating uh, through Patreon. And, you know, feel free to, to up your donations if you like, if you enjoy the content. We've got a lot more great content, more specials, not just Q&A. We've got some, some exclusive specials that I'm going to be releasing here in the next couple of weeks. So, Carpe Lucam, everybody. Woo! I'll see you on the other side.
You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com. And connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love. And love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.